All right, good morning again, everyone. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to kick off Christmas uh, this, this morning. And I, I love, as I've shared before, my favorite service is the Thanksgiving service, but my favorite season is the Christmas season. Um, I love the decorations. I love the lights. I love the, um, the celebration we get of Jesus' birth. It's, it's such a fun, joy-filled season. But, um, but as it said in that video, it can also be a very hectic and chaotic and panicky season. Um, who's already started Christmas shopping? Has anybody finished Christmas shopping already? All overachievers, a bunch of you, all right. That's really awesome. Um, how many people shop the week of Christmas? Like that is when you get it all done. Just a couple of you. Yep, it happens, it's okay. But, um, but Christmas can bring about so many things um, and we're gonna talk about a lot of these things today. Now, before we get started, there, there is some business I have to take care of, but before I, before I go into this, I do wanna say, regardless of what teams win anything, we are all on God's team, okay? A bet was made with me on Sunday. Someone who you all know came up to me and said, hey, pastor, let's make a, let's make a bet on the game. I said, what are you thinking? He said, if the Seahawks win, you preach in a Seahawks jersey. But if the Niners win, I'll wear a Niners jersey. So I'd like to invite Mr. Josh Apel up on stage for the moment. I did give him a choice of what one he would like to sport, and he chose Nick Bosa. So, Josh, you may don this jersey for everyone to wear. Thank you for being a good sport. <laughs> would you give Josh a round of applause, please, being a good sport on this? <clears throat> Thank you, Aurora. <laughs> now... Also, having said that, Mindy, can you, you pass me that bag right there? I, I know that I don't win any fans with my Niner fandom, but I think we can all agree that... Um, uh, all right. Do I win some credit back from you guys? For, for half of you? <laughs> a rematch against the Ducks. It's going to be a great game. So, like I said, um, I, I do love to have fun with sports and stuff. And I know that not everybody here is into football and sports, but what I do, what I do mean, I do mean this from the bottom of my heart, I never want sports to be a distraction from what does happen in here. What does happen in here is we get to come together and celebrate Jesus. We get to come and worship the King of all kings, and that, I think, is the best team to be a part of no matter what. So um, thank you for enduring me and my fandom, whether you agree with it or not, but I do like to have fun, and I, I appreciate the, the banter and fun that we can have together. So let's, let's pray this morning as we uh, get ready to dive into God's word, shall we? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word, um, God, for your love, which reigns supreme in the world. God, I pray that as we dive into scripture today, uh, we learn more about you and your heart for this season and how it relates to us in this season. And I pray, God, that you just speak wonders, you touch every heart, and we don't leave here the same. We leave here different because we were touched by you. We thank you, loving everybody said. Amen. Welcome everyone joining us online today as well. And um, thank you, Marshall, for the, the loner gear. Now, um, the Christmas season. There, there's a lot that happens at Christmas. And, and typically in Advent, you hear, a, you hear four special words, right? We're going to talk about one of those today. But, but the season is filled with things that sometimes can overshadow some of those words. We get the tinsel, we get the trees, the treats, and we can easily get distracted. 
It's, it's one of the easiest seasons of the year to lose focus on what really, really matters because the world has commercialized Christmas. Some of it really, really fun. Some of it not so fun because it can be distracting. I know just uh, last night, my, my family shares a deep, 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 deep love for Nordstrom. It, it, it runs, it's in the blood. And it, it ran, I, I knew that I was doomed one morning when I think Aurora was three years old. Woke her up, like, Aurora, it's time to get up. And she wakes up and goes, let's go shopping. Like the first word's like, okay. It is passed on to my kids. But, but we, we drove by Nordstrom last night, and just looking in the windows and seeing the Christmas stuff, it's fun. There, there's a lot of fun you can see. And, and looking around here in the decorations, there, there's a lot of joy that comes with seeing the lights and the trees. But it can distract us sometimes from the hope of what really matters, which is Jesus. Jesus coming to us, right? And, and during this, this series, we're going to look at hope, peace, joy, and love, and how these are the really, they're at the heart of Christmas. And hopefully this, as we leave here each week, we can remember, hey, this is a lot of fun, but never lose focus on what really, really matters, discovering the hope that comes through the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm sure we could all use a little hope at Christmas. And one of my favorite things to see what people are really hope for, hopeful for at Christmas is, um, is kids, you look at kids at Christmas, and they, they get so excited. We put our tree up um, on Friday, and Avery already has wrapped presents for all of us under the tree. She was, like, so excited. Dad, I got yours. I got Gigi's. I got Poppy's. And they're all under the tree, and she's so excited. And nothing really quite says hope like a child at Christmas, especially when it comes to their Christmas letters. We, um, people, you know, the kids write letters to Santa, and I thought I'd share with you some funny ones that I found um, online. So the, the first one says this, Dear Santa, Santa, if you're bringing with presents batteries, bring batteries. Right? That's a valid request. If you need the batteries, bring the batteries. How about this next one? Please text my dad. He has my whole list. I love you. It's <laughs> good, right? This one, Dear Santa, my name is Mia, and I am trying my best to be good, but I can't because it is hard. Can you give me advice? <laughs> right? And then one of my favorites, Dear Santa, for Christmas, please, I want a dog that poops, some ice cream, and some flip-flops. <laughs> I don't know if this kid realized you want the dog that doesn't poop, right? But, but, um, but Christmas, Christmas lists are fun, and, and when I, my kids write their Christmas lists out, and we, we have a lot of fun with what they say, and we, we encourage them to dream big, but, but sometimes they can dream a little too big. Like they'll say, what do you want for Christmas? I want a Disney World vacation. I want a brand new iPhone. No, it's not happening. Or, or wait for it, another dog. Our kids want another dog really badly. This is not about me right now. It's about you, Aurora. But, but you know, and, and there's things that I would like. You know, would I love a Disney vacation? Absolutely. Would I love my kid to have an iPhone? No, not at all. Would I love another dog in the house? Yes, and we're working really hard on convincing another person in our house that we want another dog. <laughs> working really hard on it. One year when, when Aurora was six or seven, she said, you know, said, Daddy, I said, what do you want for Christmas? And she goes, Daddy, I want a real American girl doll. I knew nothing about these dolls. I was like, all right, this is cool. And I looked into it, and I was like, real American girl dolls cost real American dollars. Wow. <laughs> this, is a, this is a big request. I thought, okay, Daddy needs a real American second job to make this happen. But, um, but through the magic of Christmas and people, people helping out and getting in, Aurora opened up her present. She went, and I remember the look on her eyes when she opened up that present, and she saw that gift under the tree. 
It was a lot of fun for her. But, but we, ask, you know, we ask them sometimes, why, why do you have these crazy things on your list? And they say, I can ask for anything, can't I? It, it, that's the point of a Christmas list. I can just put, throw it out there. But it was so great over and over again to see how excited she was. Like, it's only a few days till Christmas, only two days till Christmas. Her door to this day still has the, the chalkboard, and every day she writes on how many days till Christmas. It's something that kids look forward to. There's hope, right? Hope for the present under the tree. And when, it, when they open up that present and they get something that they had been asking for, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun to see their, their faces when that hope came to fruition. Kids aren't the only ones that do this. How many adults have a Christmas list? I have a Christmas list, right? We, some of, we, we write Christmas lists and, and we pass them out to family. We have family that ask for Christmas lists, but we have the anticipation of Christmas morning as well. I know that, that I look forward to Christmas morning. I look forward to going and seeing what's under the tree and, and wondering what, what my wife or my kids got me. And it's, it's a lot of fun. There's the anticipation and the hope. And when a gift gets handed to you and you start to wonder what's inside and some of my favorite gifts are the ones that the kids make for me. And they're, they're, they're so fun and heartfelt. But the season is full of that in so many ways. The season is full of hope. Hope for snow, or not snow for some of, some of us, right? Hope for meaningful gifts. Hope that the food will turn out okay. Hope that, that work doesn't get too crazy. Hope that you can enjoy everything the season has to offer. We, we all hope for a lot of things, and ultimately, the hope for the birth of our Savior. I think something we, we can't forget is that the true reason that there is hope at the heart of Christmas is not because of the gifts, but it is because of the birth of Jesus Christ. That, that is the reason for our hope. His arrival on earth, this was the fulfillment of a prophecy that was spoken hundreds of years before his birth. The prophecy, this prophecy is actually one of the most well-known passages uh, shared during its time, and we went over it last year, but we're going to do it again, and we, we keep coming back to this because it's such a pivotal, good verse leading into Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in a day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's a powerful passage, and, and the backdrop for this writing is, is 700, around 740 B.C., there was poor leadership. The, Israel had been plagued with poor leadership. They had been suffering through four ungodly kings, King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. They were corrupt. They were far from God, and they were not doing a good job. So, so there's this dark cloud looming over Israel, and then on top of that, Rome comes in and invades and takes over. It's just, it's a time of no hope, honestly. It's been, it's been just bad news for so long, a dark time in history. And Isaiah writes these words knowing God would have to come intervene to bring Israel back to himself. The kingdom was crumbling. The people needed hope. They needed it badly. And this passage makes two major statements. The, the first is an acknowledgement of the brokenness and darkness that surrounded Israel due to its poor leadership and due to its corruption. 
But the second thing it says is that it gives this hope of a dawning light through the birth of a child who is one day going to make everything right. He'll be wonderful counselor. He'll be mighty God. The government will reign on his, uh, he will He will be in charge of the government on his shoulders. Now, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they needed these words to remind them. Isaiah knew he needed to say this because they were in this time where they could feel like God had totally forgotten them. Life was rough. Have you guys ever been there? You feel like things are so bad. You, just, you, you wonder. You say, God, where are you in the midst of this? This is Israel right now. So Isaiah sends this saying, God has not forgotten. Hope is coming. The Savior is coming. The book of Matthew also reminds us of Isaiah's writings. Uh, the, the, the author of Matthew is making this connection between what Isaiah had said prophetically written and what was taking place in a manger in Bethlehem. In Matthew 1, 22 and 23, it says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew, he's writing here, and he's echoing Isaiah. He's bringing this all together, saying hope is here. Hope has come. The thing that was promised when we were at our darkest time, and times are still dark, it is happening. We can have hope in Christ. Now, a young Jewish man named Joseph was presented with a very difficult decision to make. I don't know if anyone here has seen the movie A Journey to Bethlehem yet. I know that that soundtrack is on repeat in my house all day, and my kids are singing it, but, but it, it paints the story really, really well. A young man named Joseph was presented with a very difficult decision to make, right? He has, he is engaged to a woman named Mary. They're, they're going to get married. It's, it's a, such a wonderful time for them, but news comes that she's pregnant. News comes that she's pregnant. Now, now, Mary was very young in, in this time. And in this time, it's, it's not uncommon for teens to get married. And so Mary is most likely a teenager, and she's engaged to Joseph, and now she's pregnant. So even though she's engaged, she's, she's, a, she's a virgin. An angel told her, you're pregnant, you're going to give birth to Jesus. And imagine that conversation, if you will. Joseph excited. He's, he's got this woman that he loves. He's going to get married. He's going to spend the rest of his life with her. And then Mary, being so excited. You know, the, the Bible says that Mary had a heart after God. She's following God. She's found favor with God. So she's doing things right. And this angel comes and says, hey, don't be afraid. You're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the son of God. Kind of hard to not be afraid at that news, right? So this, this woman now, her first line, she says, I am troubled. How? There's a lot in that statement, I'm troubled how, because imagine what Mary's thinking at this moment, right? She knew what was required to have a baby, and she hadn't done that. So I, I'm troubled. That, that's one. Also, she knows in custom, it's going to look like she cheated on her fiancé. In custom, she could be stoned and put to death. This could be shame not just on her, but her entire family for generations. She's troubled. She doesn't know what's going to happen. For her, there was this hope of a life, and now in this conversation, that hope is starting to look a little shaky. Things are getting questioned, right? She knew that something had to happen, and she asked, how? Ultimately, the angel tells her, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You will have the Son of God. The angel relays to her how important and amazing this is, and I love Mary's response. She says, I'm willing to be used of the Lord. Let it happen to me as you have said. You know what Mary ultimately had when the angel was talking to her? She had trust and hope. She had this hope that God knew what he was doing, that he was in charge, that this was all happening for an incredibly amazing purpose. And Mary went from, I'm troubled, to, all right, I'm in. Let this happen exactly as you've said. Mary showed hope. 
She had to live in the hope that everything was going to be perfect, just like God said. The hope that Joseph was going to believe this insane story she was about to relay to him. Her trust and her hope had to be bigger than her doubts and fear in the world. And so she goes for it. Now imagine, imagine this conversation. She goes to Joseph, planning a wedding, like, Joseph, we're getting married. The time is, I'm so excited to spend my life with you. By the way, I'm having a baby. You know, Joseph, you know, the, the, imagine the shock that comes to him. And, and he's now thinking, okay, so she's pregnant. What's going on? Joseph, I mean, like anyone in would in the situation, is shocked. Imagine the hope he had in this moment for his upcoming marriage, his life. What happens to his hope? In this conversation, that hope is probably gone. He, he's torn. He doesn't know what to do. And, and he, he's shocked because he just experienced what he thinks has been an ultimate betrayal in his marriage or upcoming marriage. I've talked with, with couples who have navigated through, through this circumstance, not the birth of Jesus in their house, but, but I've talked with couples who have navigated through affairs and betrayal. And I'll tell you, that com- those conversations are never easy. And it's not just easy, it's not easy for me, but I can only imagine the, the heartache that goes with the couple I'm talking with. Some couples work it out. Some couples are able to, after you know, counseling and therapy and working on it, even though it's hurting, they've been restored. And I know some of those couples are thriving today. That's not the case with everybody, though. I've seen the other side. I've seen what happens when, when a couple doesn't make it. I've seen what happens when, when later that marriage is dissolved and divorce happens, and I've seen decades of pain follow. I've seen this happen. When Joseph heard this news, I can imagine he was on the track to be the latter, to say, wow, my marriage is over before it's even beginning. This is going to be shameful for me, shameful for, for her. I have a choice to make. What am I going to do? We're not going to make it. This is devastating. By Jewish law, he could have her killed. He could have her stoned for her betrayal, for cheating. Even though he didn't, her story was too incredible to be true. It was too much. Mary was given hope. Joseph, it seemed, lost his, lost his hope. Scripture says that he actually planned to call off the wedding, but he was going to do it quietly. He didn't want to have her killed in Irish stone. He was just going to quietly dissolve it and step away and say, okay, we're, we're not going to go through with this. But an angel came to Joseph, and, and when the angel told him, he said, don't be afraid to marry Mary. Get married to Mary. Don't be afraid to do this. It's okay. And when Joseph got that, you know what was restored instantly in Joseph? His hope. His hope for his life, his hope for his marriage, his hope for what God was going to do was fully restored, and he was able to go forward with getting married, and he was became the earthly father to our heavenly king. Now, all these stories, this all happened, it took, it took place to fulfill the prophecy from the Old Testament, which claimed there would be a child born as a light in the darkness and hope for all people. It says that this, this child would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus was with us. Even in the midst of darkness, in the midst of their darkest time, Jesus didn't choose the happiest time in history to be like, everyone's following God. Everything's great. Now I will come down and show everyone how even greater it can be. He waited. It was, it was bad. Things were horrible. And he said, this is the darkest time. Now I'm coming. And that's when he came to restore hope. Joseph trusted God. And even though that was a, a short-lived moment in his life, it was a very dark moment for him. And we can go through dark times as well. I think, I think all of us can, can pinpoint times where we say, this was the darkest point of my life. Or maybe you're in it now. Maybe in life right now you say, this is dark. This is the hardest it's ever been for me. And I'm have a hard time, I have a hard time seeing this hope. But what we learn from this passage in Isaiah 
is that the presence of darkness threatens our hope. The presence of darkness will threaten your hope. The center of the, the Christmas story is focused squarely on the birth of Jesus. He's a fulfillment of Israel's hope that God would push aside the darkness, push out all the corruption, and bring the light to the world. And I think one of the, the reasons that the Christmas story resonates in our hearts, too, is because we live in a world that can be very similar to Israel when we think about it. The world can be dark and corrupt, there's a lot of bad things that happen all the time in the world. I mean, there's war, disease, conflict. If, if you watch the news for five minutes, feel ready to be sad about what's going on in the world. There's a war in the Middle East where women and children are being executed in the streets. It's, there is bad things happening in the world right now. And, and we may not be in a state of war here on our, our home turf, but if you walk outside and you walk downtown in streets sometimes, it can look like a war zone. There are places right here close to, our, close to our city, maybe even in our city, where there are things like this happening. It may not be prominent and on the news like we see war stuff happening, but it's happening. There are horrible things that happen all the time. And all that to show that we too, as a people, we are still in need of the hope of Christ. We are still in need of what comes, this message of the Christ child to usher in and bring back this light to push back against the darkness that's around us. And Christmas is a reminder for us, I believe, this, this hope that we have that no matter what happens in the world, we can come back to the message of hope of Jesus. It's a message of healing, of forgiveness, this, this fresh start. It's available to all of us through Emmanuel, through God with us, we can have this everlasting hope. And it's, hope is not a result of the absence of conflict, difficulty, struggles, or trial. Hope is the result of the presence of God in the midst of difficulty, Conflict, struggle, and trials. Darkness can threaten our hope, but I love that God's presence has come to give us hope. God's presence has come to give us hope. The hard part about hope is that it often takes longer than we would like to be fulfilled. The Jewish people experienced this too. There was a lot that they had to wait for, a long time for this to happen. Hope required patience. Oh, I said it. I said the P word in church. Patience, right? You guys like patience? No, no, it's just, who said yes? Who said yes? I'm, uh... Oh, the parents like patience. Okay. We want patience for our kids. Kids, it's patience in general, no matter where you are in life. Patience is not the easiest thing to want. The easiest thing, because you know it requires waiting, and typically waiting longer than you'd expect. Israel was waiting longer than they expected for the Savior to come. Sometimes in our lives, that same thing happens for us. We have to wait for something. But I love that God's timing is perfect. And when we learn patience, we show patience. We see how God's timing works perfectly with it. And he shows up when only he can show up. At this time in history, this is when they needed it. And they had to wait. And then they got it. There, there's a great... There's a, this, do you guys know of the, um, the agave Americana plant? This, this is a fascinating plant. And, and talk about something waiting patiently to, to do what it was supposed to do. This is also known as a century plant. And it thrives in like the desert area, rocky, dry mountain locations. And it grows splayed leaves that grow to be a foot wide. Uh, this plant can reach 12 feet in diameter and grow to be six feet tall. It's a big plant. But its most unusual trait is how long this plant takes to reproduce. For 20 to 30 years, this plant remains the exact same size and shape, does not change. Then, without warning, a new bud will sprout, resembling a tree trunk-sized asparagus spear, and it will rise to the sky at the rate of seven inches per day until it reaches a height of 20 to 40 feet. 
Then it culminates with yellow blossoms that last for three weeks, and those blossoms seed the new plant. 20 to 30 years of nothing, and then all of a sudden, seven inches a day. That's insane. That's really, really cool. But, but sim- similar to, to this plant, I think some of the answers to our hoping and longing take time and patience to see all of a sudden the beautiful results of what that time and patience have been waiting for. The plant wasn't designed to do that in its first year. It was designed to do it after 20 to 30 years, and the result is beautiful. For us, we have to wait sometimes for things, but we have to have this hope that whatever we're waiting for, God is doing something beautiful, that it may take longer than we expected, longer than we thought would happen, but the end result is going to be something magnificent and beautiful, and it will be something that catches the eye because it's different and just wonderful. It's not, it wasn't until hundreds of years later after Isaiah that Matthew recorded Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Jesus is the very presence of God on earth. He offers forgiveness of sin, destruction of evil, and the promise of eternal life. That is the most amazing thing we could hope for this season. And, and why do we read this passage every year? I think all the years I've been here at Christmas, I've come back to this passage. I read it because seeing the faithfulness of God in the past gives us a deep abiding hope in the present and unwavering trust for our future. When we see the hope in the past, I think we can look at that and look at our future and say, man, we can have an unwavering hope and trust. God will do amazing things. He did it then and he will do it now, no matter what. Romans 15, 4 says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul said that that everything had been written in the past, all the prophecy and fulfillment is meant to teach us how to hold on to faith and how to hold on to God so we understand how he answers our prayers. What had been written gives us endurance and encouragement so that we can have, ultimately, that word we've been saying all morning, so we can have hope. It's important that we read these prophetic words in the Old Testament to remind us that the Old Testament bled into the New Testament and the New Testament bleeds into today. It's not just writings from a book thousands of years old. It's something we get to grasp onto every single day. And it reminds us that God can be trusted to come through in our greatest time of need. He came through for Israel then. He comes through today. And ultimately, we see in this passage, the heart of Christmas is hope. There are many distractions in the season, right? This message is a reminder that the hope is offered to us through Jesus' arrival in the manger. Dr. James Dobson uh, relates the story of this elderly woman named Stella. Now, now, Stella was struggling with her first Christmas alone. Her husband had just died a few months prior, and there was a long journey leading to that, the slow-developing cancer. And several days before Christmas, she was almost snowed in by this big weather storm. She felt terribly alone, so much that she decided she was not going to decorate for Christmas. Late that afternoon, the doorbell rang, and this delivery shows up, this man with his box. He said, Mrs. Thornhope, would you sign here? So she invited him to step inside and close the door to get away from the cold. She signed the paper, and she said, what's in the box? The young man laughed and opened the flap, and inside was a little golden Labrador retriever. The delivery boy picked up the squirming pup and explained, this is for you, ma'am. He's six weeks old, completely housebroken. The young puppy began to wiggle with happiness at being released from captivity. Who sent this, Miss Thornhope asked. The young man set the animal down and handed her an envelope and said, it's all explained right here in this envelope, ma'am. This dog was bought last July while its mother was still pregnant. It was meant to be a Christmas gift to you. The young man then handed her a book, How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. In desperation, she asked again, Who sent me this puppy? The young man turned to leave. He said, Your husband, ma'am. Merry Christmas. 
She opened the letter from her husband. He had written it three weeks before he died and left it with the kennel owners to deliver the puppy as his last Christmas gift to her. The letter was full of love and encouragement and admonishments to be strong. He vowed that he was waiting for the day when she would join him in heaven, and he had sent her this young animal to keep her company until then. She wiped away the tears, put the letter down, remembered the puppy at her feet. She picked up the golden furry ball and held it to her neck. She looked out the window at the lights that outlined the neighbor's house, and she heard from the radio in the, in the kitchen the strains of joy to the world, the Lord has come. Suddenly, Stella felt the most amazing sensation of hope washing over her. Her heart felt a little joy and a wonder greater than the grief and the loneliness. Little fellow, she said to the dog, it's just you and me, but you know what? There's a box in the basement I bet you'd like. It's got a Christmas tree and some decorations that are going to impress you, and there's a manger scene down there. Let's go get it. God's timing is perfect. And in this story, um, you, is, this story is just one of those things that, that shows that in the midst of someone who, who says, this is hurting, I'm, this is hard, I don't know how to get through this, God orchestrated this amazing plan to bring her hope in what could have been maybe her darkest time ever. God is always right on time. He knows exactly what we need. He never fails. He can be trusted to reveal the light of Christ to push back the darkness in our lives. And in, in a land full of deep darkness, a light has indeed dawned. It's easy to be, it's, it's easy, I think, to, to get caught up with the looking at the dark things, like we said, when you watch the news or you look around, you say, man, there's, there's just darkness in the world. If you look for it, you can see Jesus in all these places. You can see the light happening. You can look for those positive stories where you say, wow, that is, a moment, that is God working in someone's life. That only happened because God put his hand in there. Never forget, don't just be on the lookout and notice the dark things. Have hope that Jesus is in those dark things. Have hope that he's working in those things. And when you see how he works through and his timing is so perfect, we can say, let's latch on to that hope. More than anything, let's, let's build on that hope and let it carry us through the season. I'd like to invite the worship team up. And um, as, as they come up, what I want to do is I'm going um, to invite you all to pray with me. I'm going be, to begin a prayer with us. And then I'm going to pause, and, and as I pause, I, as the worship team is just kind of playing behind us, I would like all everyone here, whether you want to stay in your seat or uh, to get on your knees, just take this moment to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to offer something up to you this morning. I'm going to offer up a fear. I'm going to offer up a doubt. I'm going to offer up something that's maybe bringing me darkness today. I'm going to lay it at your feet, and I'm going to focus instead on looking at that thing that's bringing me down. I'm going to focus on your light that will bring me up. I'm going to focus on your hope that will build me. I'm going to focus on you because you are worth focusing on. And the problems in life are not. The solution is. So would you pray with me this morning? And again, when I pause, I'm just going to offer it up to you. Just take a, take a minute to just, just pray. Have that time with God where you say, God, I'm, my hope is in you and nothing else. God, we come to you today knowing that um, we are in need of hope. We, we are in need of seeing your light in the world, God, that, that, that this time can, can be a season where, where some people may see joy and may, may see all the, the fun things, but for some of us, maybe life is just really hard, and we need to take a minute to say, I need to focus not on the hard things, but focus on the hope and the light that you bring instead. So God, we ask that, that, that you light up our lives, that you shine into our lives, God, that you, you lift our heads, that we don't look down, God, but we look up to you always. God, today we, we offer you an area of our life where, where maybe we need to, to sacrifice something and push it away. We offer it up to you today as we look to you for our hope. 
God, today we, we trust you with our very lives. God, we, we trust that you are large, you are good, you're in control, and we can have our ultimate hope in you. And God, right now, I specifically, um, I lift up Tana and Bruce Columbia to you right now. God, um, the diagnosis that Bruce got with, with his cancer was not a hopeful diagnosis, God, but we know that you are bigger than cancer. God, you are, you are bigger than any diagnosis, and I, we pray and trust and hope and believe that you can, you can heal Bruce, God. God, be with him, heal his body, be with Tana, lift them up, encourage them, and hold them together this morning. Hold them tight, surround them with your love. God, and let them, I pray that as, as they go through the, the process now of, of treatment, that you never let them lose the hope and the sight that you have for them, God. God, be with us today. Be with us as we, as we go out of these walls. God, as we share your love with the world today, God, that they know that there is a hope bigger than any problem, a hope bigger than the world, God. They have trust and love and hope in you. I pray that we tell it, we spread it, we spread your joy this season. We thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen. I do have some questions for you to ponder this week as, as you go through. One is, how would you define hope in your own words? How is Jesus' birth the fulfillment of this long-awaited hope for you? And then, and then reflect on why, why is it so hard sometimes to, to, um, to wait on God to move in our lives, but then bring it back. How has he been faithful? And how does that strengthen your faith in him? Never forget, we have hope in the greatest being in the universe, the God who loves us more than anything and who sent his son to show how much he loves us. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close out today?